0: Good morning! I'm Pastor Gillespie from St. John Evangelical Lutheran Church and School, Sherman Center, Random Lake, Wisconsin. It's good to have you with us here today for the Congregation of Prayer, a guide for daily meditation and prayer around God's Word. It's Tuesday, August 23rd, 2022, and this week we are uh, working through the epistle, Paul's epistle to Titus, and then also uh, both Ezra and Nehemiah and the rebuilding of the temple. All right. and sits at the right hand of God the Father Almighty. From thence he will come to judge the living and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Christian Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. Memory verse. If you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus, and believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, you will be saved. Romans 10, verse 9. All right, Psalm 121. I lift up my eyes to the hills. From where does my help come? My help comes from the Lord who made heaven and earth. He will not let your foot be moved. He who keeps you will not slumber. Behold, he who keeps Israel will neither slumber nor sleep. The Lord is your keeper. The Lord is your shade on your right hand. The sun shall not strike you by day nor the moon by night. The Lord will keep you from all evil. He will keep your life. The Lord will keep your going out and your coming in from this time forth and forevermore. Glory be to the Father and to the Son and to the Holy Spirit, as it was in the beginning, is now and will be forever. Amen. One thing caught my attention just now. Uh, Maybe this happens to you as you're reading through things, things that you haven't really noticed uh, before. But we have the idea of shade um, being a good thing, and and the the sun and the moon actually being um, vectors of attack. Right now, I think the sun is fairly easy to understand. Right, if one is caught out in an arid place, a desert wilderness, right, without uh, without water, the sun um, is described elsewhere in the psalmody as as having scorching heat. Right, and it can bring uh, great harm and damage to you um, unless you have shade. Right, so that that's fairly straightforward. Um, notice it's the same from the moon, and um, this may be a reference to uh, the surrounding uh, religious ideology around the people of Israel, and I imagine it is. I know in particular the Egyptians um, held that the moon was its own god, just like the sun, right? They didn't obviously understand the science that the the uh, moon reflects the light of the sun, um, but so that's the same with the biblical uh, worldview, or if you prefer cosmology, that's the right word, is that the moon is the lesser light, and God sets that in, uh, ha- set that into the firmament for the purpose of giving light at night, right? Um, but why would we not want the moon to strike us at night? Uh, maybe reveals us to others, or or perhaps it has in mind this kind of backstory uh, of the other surrounding areas where the moon itself is kind of a, a, lo- a lesser deity. Um, that could attack. I don't know. It's an interesting idea. Be worth some research on. Um, this is one of the uh, things I've suggested to you as as part of uh, your consideration of the scripture uh, is to read the Bible and then uh, just ask questions. Right? And the questions can be fairly obvious, or they can be uh, kind of well abstract, like that one. Uh, but look for patterns. Look for things that uh, language that gets repeated in multiple places or um, Consider the context or consider the world that they lived in and how they understood that world, right? And that will provide more insight into the text. All right. Uh, Picking up where we left off, Titus chapter 2. But as for you, that's Titus, speak the things which are proper for sound doctrine, that the older men be sober, reverent, temperate, sound in faith, in love, in patience. The older women, likewise, that they be reverent in behavior, not slanderers, not given to too much wine. Teachers of good things, that they admonish the young women to love their husbands, to love their children, to be discreet, chaste, homemakers, good, obedient to their own husbands, that the word of God may not be blasphemed. Likewise exhort young men to be sober minded, in all things showing yourself to be a pattern of good works, and doctrines showing integrity, reverence, incorruptibility, sound speech that cannot be condemned. That one who is an opponent may may be ashamed, having nothing evil to say of you. Exhort bondservants to be obedient to their own masters, to be well-pleasing in all things, not answering back, not pilfering, but showing all good fidelity, that they may adorn the doctrine of God our Savior in all things. All right. This is probably, uh, well, this is one of the most offensive things to our sinful flesh, is it not? That God um, actually instructs us, to live according to the things that we believe, <laughs> so that uh, uh, we are not um how did it say it there that when we actually are brought to account before others, that the opponent may be ashamed, having nothing evil to say of you, and notice that there's a great deal of focus upon the household, not the house just the household of faith of church um, but but Paul has much to say about um our own households, I think one of the hmm. Most well, I shouldn't say most, but one of the rebellious things that the state has um, has mandated in its public doctrine, because it has its own doctrine, it has its own um, religion, if you like, things that we must do right in order to be considered a good citizen. Uh, one of those doctrines articulated by the courts is um, that's what's done in the privacy of your own home um, is no business of others, right? Now, in one sense, that's, that's true of the government, that their job is not to go about investigating, or I should say it is their job to investigate wrongdoing, um, but to go about trying to find um, an offense, right? They work with open public offenses. That's what they do, not secret private ones um, when there's no harm against others. So in one sense, that's correct. But in another sense, it, it's misled us to think that God has nothing to say about what happens uh, in the privacy of our own home. Or between the sheets of our bed, <laughs> and that couldn't be farther from the truth. You know? uh, and you see it right here, is that he has much to say about the older men and the older women, the younger um, women and the younger men. Right? Um, that the men, and this is why we have a men's ministry. We restored that; uh, it was dormant for, well, I don't know, half a decade or so. But uh, it's been restored, and we've met a few times now. Is that the the older men uh, learn? To be sober, reverent, temperate, sound in faith, and love, and in patience. All right. So we we study the scriptures together. Uh, we talk about the conduct of ourselves in in the public assembly and in our community. Um, we look for opportunities to love. Um, but but notice too, we do it with the younger men, right? So that uh, where is that? Exhort the young men, verse six, to be sober-minded. All right, so like the older men who are sober, so the younger men sober-minded. In all things, showing yourself to be a pattern of good works, which are the same things applied to the older men. In doctrine, so in teaching, public teaching, showing integrity, reverence, incorruptibility with sound speech. Right. So, so there the example of the older men um, is given to the younger men. This is called a tradition. And we have the same thing happening with the women. This is important as well, is that the older women um, watch their conduct, right, there's no point for the wine ant right? that's contrary to God's word. it's right there, not given to too much wine. That's kind of a, a meme today, right the, the drunk the drunk ant we had a um, great aunt on on aunt's side of the family who who liked to get a little tipsy. <laughs> she was always a hoot, but also um, that's not necessarily what God would give her to do. Notice that the older women are the ones who teach the younger women how to love their husbands, to love their children to be how to be discreet. And chaste, that's sexually pure, right? Homemakers, how to manage their home is one of the chief jobs of um, of the wife. In the is to care for the home, right? Uh, which is quite hard to do if you've got uh, if you're working with a two-income home. Uh, let's see, good, right? Of God, obedient to their husbands, right? So that the word of God may not be blasphemed. Because if they are disobedient to their husbands, they're blaspheming God's word. They're speaking against God's word, which says, you know, just read Genesis. Uh, Genesis 2, right? The woman is given um, to help. She's a good helper, a meat helper for her husband. right? And this is good. Um, we rebel against it, both uh, older men, older women, younger men, younger women. right? We rebel against this word. And by doing so, we actually bring shame upon ourselves. We blaspheme God's word. Um, and we actually set ourselves up for easy attack um, from the world that they say, well, you, you claim to believe one thing, but then you act contrary to that belief, right? And so this last statement is the key then, that they, that's everyone, not just bonds, servants, and um, but also I would suggest it also applies then to the older men, the older women, the younger men, the younger women, may adorn the doctrine of God our Savior in all things. I made this comment, I don't know if I made it here yesterday, um, but it's worth re- repeating um, I have this kind of remarkable, I think, um, thought, is that uh, politics has been driven into every aspect of life. It's in, there, there's politics involved in medical care. There's politics involved in popular media, entertainment. There's politics, of course, involved in news. There's politics involved um, in church governance. There's politics involved in, um, I don't know, you figure, well, probably in your workplace, right? Um, and it's divisive often, at least modern politics today, uh, it's intentionally divisive, and I think this is actually a false doctrine. Hmm. Um, that rather than uh, keeping um, the political sphere to the to the realm that God has ordained it, you know, to punish evildoers and to commend those who do good, Romans fifteen. Oh, we talked about it in Bible study on Sunday. Um, now and and then God's word is what's supposed to be pervasive in all things. Yeah. In entertainment and news media, right, that we would act in accord with God's word, especially say the Ten Commandments, right? Respect people's um, reputation and defend and speak well of them, etc. Um, same thing in the workplace, um, in the home, in the congregation. Hmm. We've replaced God's word and its definitive authoritarian authority, authority um, with. Um, these other authorities that have not necessarily been set up by God. All right, so it's another kind of way to think of idolatry. But here it's that they may adorn the doctrine of God, our Savior, in all things. So that it's literally that their acts or their works are dressed in the Word of God, in the the teaching of the Church. There you go. Um, I actually think I have a lot to say about this book, because I was thinking about it after yesterday. Um, I believe... Maybe it was 1 Timothy, but I think I did like uh, a rather lengthy, deep-dive study and outline of this book in seminary. I'm not sure. I might have. It was one of the pastoral epistles. Anyway, beautiful stuff. All right, um, we're going to skip from Ezra 1 to Ezra 3 now and hear about the rebuilding of the temple. When the seventh month had come and the children of Israel were in the cities, the people gathered together as one man to Jerusalem. Then Jeshua, the son of Jozadak and his brethren, the priests, and Zerubbabel the son of Shealtiel and his brethren arose and built the altar of God on Israel. Or excuse me, altar of God of Israel to offer burnt offerings on it, as it is written in the law of Moses, the man of God. Though fear had come upon them because of the people of those countries, they set the altar on its bases and they offered burnt offerings on it to the Lord both the morning and evening burnt offerings. They also kept the Feast of Tabernacles, as it is written, and offered the daily burnt offerings in the number required by ordinance for each day. Afterwards, they offered the regular burnt offering and those for new moons, and for all the appointed feasts of the Lord that were consecrated, and those of everyone who willingly offered a freewill offering to the Lord. From the first day of the seventh month they began to offer burnt offerings to the Lord, although the foundation of the temple had not yet been laid. They also gave money to the masons and the carpenters and food, drink, and oil to the people of Sidon and Tyre to bring cedar logs from Lebanon to the sea to Joppa, according to the permission which they had from Cyrus, king of Persia. Now in the second month of the second year of their coming to the house of God at at Jerusalem, Zerubbabel the son of Shealtiel, Joshua the son of Josedek, and the rest of their brethren, the priests and the Levites, and all those who had come out of the captivity to Jerusalem, began work and appointed the Levites from twenty years old and above to oversee the work of the house of the Lord. Then Jeshua with his sons and brothers, Cadmiel with his sons and the sons of Judah, arose as one to oversee those working on the house of God, the sons of Henadad with their sons and the, their brethren, the Levites. When the builders laid the foundation of the temple of the Lord, the priests stood in their apparel with trumpets, and the Levites, the sons of Asaph, with symbols to praise the Lord according to the ordinance of David, the king of Israel. And they sang responsively, praising and giving thanks to the Lord, for he is good, for his mercy endures forever toward Israel. Then all the people shouted with a great shout when they praised the Lord, because the foundation of the house of the Lord was laid. But many of the priests and Levites and heads of fathers of the fathers' houses, old men who had seen the first temple, wept with a loud voice when the foundation of the temple was laid before their eyes. Yet many shouted aloud for joy, so that the people could not discern the noise of the shout of joy from the house, or from the noise of the weeping of the people. For the people shouted with a loud shout, and the sound was heard afar off. Okay, so we have uh, at the beginning here what happened after the people settled in the cities, then as was um, commanded by Cyrus in back in Ezra 1, what was the first task that they were to do once they had um, returned home? Yeah, to set up the temple. So, uh, the people assembled as one in Jerusalem. There's two key figures noted. Uh, we want to take note of these two. Jeshua and Zerubbabel. Jeshua and Zerubbabel. Jeshua the son of Josedach and Zerubbabel the son of Shealtiel. Alright, what did they begin to do? Notice what the first thing is they did. Because this is actually remarkable. The first thing they did is establish the altar of God, right? And then the temple would be built around the altar. Um, this is an old tradition, actually, for, Christian, um, for construction of Christian churches, too. Um, I know this is, uh, um, was done intentionally in, um, for the congregation. I've mentioned this church before. Um, it's in Kansas, and I can't remember the name of the town. You can see the pastor's face. Hmm, I lost the name of it. Um, it was a new new construction here relatively recently, maybe in the last, uh, I think it was started maybe 15 years ago and finished maybe 12 years ago or so. And um, I talked to the architect, and he um, was a faithful, pious man who had uh, studied God's Word quite a bit on this matter and building churches. And then what does God's Word have to say? And they intentionally drove um, the foundations for the altar into the bedrock and then set up the marble altar upon the bedrock and then built the rest of the church around it much like we see here, which is uh, um, it's an interesting uh, what recapitulation of, of what happened here in this text. I think it costs a little bit more money, too, because then you have to build some kind of protective structure around the altar while you <laughs> build everything on top around it. Well, there you go. Uh, but first thing is altar sacrifices, right? The purpose of the temple. Uh, why would building an altar be dangerous amidst the peoples around them? You see that in verse 3, right? Though fear had come upon them because of the people of the, those countries, they still did it. Why would they be afraid? Yeah, um, those <laughs> nations around them had not Israel had not been there. Right, Judah had been in an exile, and now if Judah has been returned, has returned, and they're establishing their principal place of worship, um, this is a threat because uh, the temple they know is the dwelling place of Israel's God. Right? And reestablishing the temple means the reestablishment of Israel, all right? Not modern-day Israel, of course, because the temple, of course, is uh, the Temple Mount is occupied by it now by a Muslim um, church, and uh, yeah, I'm perfectly fine with that, having rejected Jesus. All right, um, what they celebrate all sorts of things, not just the offerings, but also the Feast of Tabernacles. Right? Do you remember the Feast of Tabernacles, or the Feast of Booths, if you prefer? This is described for us in Leviticus uh, 23, so you could go look that up. Um, Remember, this was the feast between Passover and uh, Pentecost 50 days later. So um, the people of Israel would dwell in tents, just like they did uh, during the exile uh, through the Sinai Peninsula. Then uh, they would recognize this each year. Those who made pilgrimage to Jerusalem would set up tents outside of the city and and dwell in tents. Mm Mm-hmm. Um, this is one of the three annual pilgrimage feasts, is the Feast of Tabernacles. Why was it this an appropriate feast for their return, the Feast of Tabernacles? Not coincidental. Just as God had um, led them safely through the wilderness, right, and given them into their land, now he has safely returned the exiles uh, back into the land to give it to them again. Was it necessary then for them to build a, the temple before offering sacrifices. I think this is another reason why the Feast of Tabernacles is mentioned. They had been offering sacrifices frequently um, in their exile, or excuse me, in their yeah, in the exile from Egypt. Uh, you know, the return, the um, Exodus from Egypt. that's the right word. In the tabernacle, remember the tent. They would offer sacrifices when the pillar of cloud moved, came up. Then they would move the tabernacle. And, and then set it up again when it came to rest upon it, etc., cetera, etc., cetera, right? Um, so, the Lord moved from place to place with them, uh, and even now does so in exile. How did they get the materials for the temple? This is interesting. By the command of Cyrus, right? From Ty- Sidon and Tyre, authorized, right? Lebanon is the particular place, the cedars of Lebanon. Beautiful wood. Uh, let's see, what else? Who supervised the building of the temple. This is there in verse 8. Obviously, we have uh, Jeshua and Zerubbabel again, but also the Levites from 20 years uh, of age and older. Um, in verse 10, before before we hear the song, uh, they, they praised the Lord according, according to the ordinance of David, king of Israel. Yeah, what ordinance was that? This is referring back um, to what's recorded in first chronicles uh, with David, um, David gave a psalm of thanks um, and it was sung when the ark was brought to Jerusalem when you know he first uh, set up the tabernacle there right So uh, yeah, it's again a recapitulation and these kind of I guess you could call them signposts. Traditional signposts where where you um, do something like what has been done before is great for memory. It's not absolutely commanded by God, right? Here they suggest it is, um, but like like I was suggesting with like when we build a new Christian church to set up the altar first, it's a great way to remember this text and to remember that um, the altar is the focal point of the sanctuary. Everything else is built to to bring our focus upon the altar, right? Where Christ delivers to us His body and blood. All right. What praise did the people give? What's well, effectively an amen, right? Yeah, the people responded with an amen. Um, I think it's also interesting here. What do we do after receiving um, the fruit of the sacrifice of Christ's body and blood for us for the forgiveness of sins? Oh, give thanks unto the Lord, for he is good. And the congregation responds, for his steadfast love endures forever. Sound familiar? It should. All right? So again, even in our divine service, we have... Um, a recapitulation, a redoing, or a remembering of how the people sang when the foundation of the temple was laid. Beautiful. Um, the people shouted and praised the Lord, except not everybody. The older priests, they wept. Why did they weep? I think it's being overcome with emotion, really. Um, having seen the previous temple destroyed and now seeing it begin to be rebuilt, right? It's a. It's bittersweet. Because the rebuilt temple, although it was much larger than Solomon's, um, it's just still not the same, right, as the one that they grew up with. Yeah, 20 years old to oversee the work, um, maybe because they could be sober-minded, to quote Titus, right? I think it's a good question, Chris. Um, Rather than be overcome by emotion and and not, well, and certainly having weakness as well. Um, But obviously the older priests are there. And this voice, this sober judgment that God did, dis- you know, have caused the other temple to be destroyed, um, brings some. Um, oh prevents the the younger men from getting too caught up in, in the joy of the moment and recognize, you know, soberly that uh, it could happen again, and of course it will. Jesus talks about that. We heard that on Sunday. Why is it important to record that the noise of weeping and joy were indistinguishable, do you think? Yeah, I think this is a description of of the life of the Christian as it centers upon Christ, who is our new temple, right? Um, We weep in sorrow for our sin, and we also um, sing out with joy at the forgiveness of sins received in Christ Jesus, right? So, um, And we talked about this in Sunday in Bible Study, so you can go and listen or watch that. Uh, in particular, um, Christian funerals, right? We don't grieve as those uh, like others do who have no hope, right? Why did Ezra? Do you think uh, include this phrase that the sound was heard afar off? I think this is foreshadowing, or prof- it's really a prophetic word to the fact that that uh, the sound of huh, forgiveness of sins, the gospel, spreads throughout the whole world, right? And again, this is our, this establishing of this temple is a is a foreshadowing of the establishing of Christ's body, our temple, which was destroyed and raised up on the third day, and then there was a shout of triumph. Uh, think about how we start our Easter Sunday service, right? Alleluia, Christ is risen. He is risen indeed. Um, we should say that in such a way that our neighbors hear it, maybe. <laughs> we don't shout a lot in church, maybe just too subdued to people, but uh, there's definitely a, a place for it. I teach the children to do it in regards to their amen, for example. Is to say it like they mean it, is what I tell them. <laughs> Good. All right, so, uh, summary meditation here. It's fitting that the altar be established first, for the sacrifices of blood were in effect before the temple. Indeed, it is in the blood that life is given, for it is the blood of Christ, the final sacrifice, that brings life to his church. That such an altar would be a threat lies in the fact that God of, the God of Israel is the only God who is strong to save as he vanquished his enemies in the days of Joshua, so he can readily vanquish them again. The life of the church today is still lived in the confidence that her enemies will be destroyed and she shall triumph. Her weeping and mourning in this life exists side by side with her joy in the salvation of God. We weep over over sins, and yet God brings joy to us with the declaration that our sins are forgiven by the sacrifice of his own dear son. This noise that is, the preaching of the gospel, is not only the loud noise like a roaring wind of Pentecost, but still echoes to the ends of the earth. This noise will not be silenced in this world until the day of our Lord's return. Good. All right, let's say our catechism for the week. Lord's Prayer Introduction. Our Father, who art in heaven, what does this mean? With these words, God tenderly invites us to believe that he is our true Father, And that we are his true children, so that with all boldness and confidence, we may ask him as dear children ask their dear father. All right, let's sing. Uh, We're going to sing stanzas four through six today. All right.
1: are there each day, the holy word is read. God's children, listen, here is he, and they are fed. Christ fills them with himself. Sort in the feast gifts far more than we see Beneath the bread and wine is food from Calvary The body and the blood remove our every sin We leave his presence in his peace to the one who lavishes such love. The triune God in love assures our life above. His means of grace for us our gifts he loves to give. All thanks and praise for his great love by which we live.
0: Let's pray together the collect for this week. O God, you declare your almighty power above all and showing mercy and pity. Mercifully grant us such a measure of your grace that we may obtain your gracious promises and be made partakers of your heavenly treasures. Through Jesus Christ, your Son, our Lord, who lives and reigns with you in the Holy Spirit, one God, now and forever. Amen. We pray this day for deliverance against temptation and evil, for the addicted and despairing, for the tortured and oppressed, and for those struggling with sin. We also pray in Thanksgiving with uh, Dick and Kayleen, who celebrate their baptism. Pray for the households of our church, especially that of Deb, Norm and Donna, Wendy, Alex and Emma, Maggie and Julie thanks to God for full accreditation by the NLSA. We pray for our catechumens, Matthew and Maureen. We pray for those ill receiving treatment and recovering, especially Marcella, Joe, Pastor Coda, Kelsey, Dan, Brad, Ron, and Taylor, Lenore, and Pat. We pray for our homebound, Bev, Willis, Ed, Mickey, Paul, and Pauline. We pray for the missions and mercy work of the Church, especially that of the Gathering Place at St. Paul Falls. And we ask the Lord to give us generous hearts to support their work. We ask the Lord to grant to us a denial of self and to comfort those who grieve, especially the family and friends of Marcia. For all this, let us pray to the Lord. Lord, have mercy. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. Amen. I thank you, my Heavenly Father, through Jesus Christ, your dear Son, that you have kept me this night from all harm and danger, and I pray that you would keep me this day also from sin and every evil, that all my doings and life may please you. For into your hands I commend myself, my body and soul, and all things. Let your holy angel be with me, that the evil foe may have no power over me. Amen. Let us bless the Lord. Thanks be to God. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the communion of the Holy Spirit be with you all. Amen. Right, It's been a joy to have you with us here today for our Congregation of Prayer, a guide for daily meditation and prayer around God's Word. Come to you each day at, again, about 9 o'clock. So you can join us again tomorrow for that. Uh, tomorrow is also the Feast of St. Bartholomew, Apostle. Uh, and this is a famous, famous... Uh, <laughs> Um, Saint, uh, Bartholomew uh, legend has it, was flayed alive and made his confession as his skin was being peeled off his flesh it's quite an extraordinary story Uh, it's actually painted in the Sistine Chapel uh, where he's holding his own skin really gruesome, also true, maybe, All right, so uh, we'll celebrate his day and and listen uh, to the text appointed for his feast, tomorrow uh, that's 7pm, right, Divine Service Uh, in the morning though we'll hear of Nehemiah's prayer at, uh, at the temple. Very good. So, Lord be with you all, and we'll see you soon. We thank you for listening to this podcast from St. John Evangelical Lutheran Church Sermon Center in Random Lake, Wisconsin. If this podcast is of benefit to you, please consider supporting the work of St. John by visiting stjohnrandomlake.org. That's stjohnrandomlake.org slash support and give today.